Welcome back to Sister Alec T, where we talk about all things church related. And on today, we are going to continue with our episodes or our series on depression and the church. On our first series, we talked about what the CDC told us uh, back in March um, of 2022, how adolescents, uh, young people's teen, teens are uh, feeling sad and how they are also contemplating or have contemplated suicide. We talked about some misconceptions about depression. We talked about signs and symptoms of depression. And we even talked about how God does not always intervene when we're sick or, 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 or something is wrong with us and how he has given us doctors and healthcare professionals to help us. We've also talked about how we have to deal with the spiritual realm as well as the natural realm. We know that whatever manifests in the natural realm was first preceded by something that took place in the spiritual realm. Therefore, we have to uh, deal with depression in the spiritual realm as well as the natural realm. Spiritually, we know what we have to do to uh, fight depression in the spirit. We have to put on our whole armor of God and we have to fight, use our weapons. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God. We have to use our weapons in the spirit and we have to put on our whole armor in the spirit. We have to um, stand on scriptures in the spirit. We do have to pray in the spirit and we can uh, depend on our brothers and our sisters to help us to intercede for us in the spirit and then on the natural aspect we understand that god gives us doctors and healthcare professionals that can help us with our uh, needs our suffering and that can also lead to medication depending on the depths of our suffering so now we want to continue on today with some more misconceptions about depression and the first misconception that we are going to talk about is depression is a punishment from god wow a misconception that depression is a punishment from god but the reality is depression is not the fault of the person suffering it is a difficult trial that can refine one's faith, but it's not a punishment for sin. And spiritually, we can look at it that depression is an attack from the enemy. I say that again. Depression is an attack from the enemy. We talked about how depression is a wow of the devil. It's an attack from the enemy. Depression is not a punishment from God. God does not punish us. Depression, yeah, could be a result of sin. We talked about how um, something opened the door for depression to come in. That could be disappointment. That could be abandonment. That could be rejection. That could be uh, mistreatment. Um, we could have been mistreated and some. Uh, uh, along the way in our life's journey, we could have been abandoned or disappointed. We could have been uh, um, 
abused or molested or something to that nature that opened up a door for depression. And we also talked about how depression itself opens up the door for suicide. We talked about how a suicide spirit has gone out into the world today in 2022. We talked about how um, many people are committing suicide. We talked about how the pandemic, COVID-19, has um, stressed uh, uh, people out and how, you know, different ones have died. So leaving the families um in a state of depression, I would say, and in a state of loss, in a state of hopelessness, in a state of uh, of uh, just just sadness, profound sadness. Depression is not a punishment from God. It's not your fault if you are depressed. It's not your fault unless you sinned and opened the door yourself for depression but we know that depression god didn't punish you for that god is not a punishment you did it you opened the door in my state of depression i will say that i opened the door to depression what did i do to open that door i don't know maybe bitterness maybe unbelief maybe fear maybe doubt Maybe pride, maybe self-promotion opened that door to my depression. Maybe rejection, abandonment, hurt, being mistreated. Any of those things could have opened up the door to my depression. But I know for a surety it was not a punishment from God. Depression is an attack of the enemy. Now many Christians will assume that the individual may have committed a sin, and that could be true on one aspect. But then on another aspect, we can read in John 9, the ninth chapter, verses 1 through 3, we can read how, well, let's just read it, and we'll talk about it afterwards. John 9. Starting at the first verse. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. That was his ailment, blindness. And his disciples, Jesus' disciples, asked him, saying, Master, who did sin? This man or his parents? that he was born blind. They asked Jesus a question. This man is blind, and we want to know who sinned that this man is born blind. Because if you did not know, the sins of our forefather comes down to the third and the fourth generation. And it was my intention to have that scripture ready for you because I want you to read it for yourself. But let me see if I can quickly find that scripture for you. The sins of our forefathers. You may hear my paper rustling here. The sins of our forefathers 
it comes down to the third and the fourth generations. So thus the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned? Was it this man that sinned or was it his parents? Did his parents sin or did this man sin? Well, Jesus said, Jesus answered, verse 3, Jesus answered, Neither had this man sinned nor his parents. Nobody sinned, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. In other words, it's for the glory of God. All this is taking place for the glory of God. In other words, this man was born blind because if you look at it, let's think about this scripture. Let's think about it for a minute. Uh, the man was blind from birth. So in other words, he was born blind. So why was the question asked, did this man sin? What did the man sin while he was in his mother's womb? Are we capable of sinning while we're in our mother's womb? While we're in our mother's stomach, in other words? Can we sin while we're there? That's a question. Let's think about this. This man was born blind. Did he sin while he was in his mother's womb? Or did his parents sin? This man was born blind. Jesus said, neither sin. The man did not sin. Nor did his parents sin, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. In other words, that the glory of God should be manifested in him. So thus that tells us that depression is not a punishment of God from God. We may have depression to show forth the glory of God, that God may step in and, and show forth his glory, uh, create a miracle in our lives. That we can go and tell somebody else, like I am doing here today, that depression is real and that you can overcome depression. So that's an example how a, your a calamity or your sickness or your disease or your situation can be for just be for the glory of God. You didn't have to sin. It came upon you because God wants to get the glory out of your life. God wants to use you to glorify him, to show forth his goodness in the land of the living. It is for that God's works may be made manifest in you. It is for God's glory. Now I'll come back maybe and give you that scripture. But maybe you need to look it up for yourself. Maybe you need to look the scripture up for yourself. Let's go to another misconception. And that scripture talks about the sins of our forefathers, how it goes down to the third and the fourth generations. 
I meant to have that scripture for you, but I don't have it. Look it up for yourself. Okay, another misconception that depression is just an excuse or laziness for laziness or not doing your Christian duty. Oh my God. When I first did this podcast, I really harped on this one. Now, depression is just an excuse for laziness or not doing your Christian duty. This is a misconception. But the reality is God loves you regardless of how much you do for him. And spiritually, I want to put in there that when you minister in a state of depression, that you release the spirit over the congregation. So let's kind of think about this misconception a little bit. Okay, so I am depressed. We're going to use an example. I am depressed and my fellow brothers and sisters think that I'm using depression as an excuse to get out of my Christian duty, out of doing the things that need to be done to carry on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, first of all, if I am depressed and I can barely get out of my bed and I can barely pray and I can barely put food in my mouth and I can barely do my daily chores. What makes you think that I want to do my Christian duty? If I am feeling hopeless and I am feeling inadequate, first of all, I feel inadequate to do my Christian duty. I feel like a failure. Anything that I do, I fail at and I'm feeling this way. What makes you think that I want to do my Christian duty or or, or I even have the capacity to think of doing a Christian duty if I don't even have the capacity to put food in my mouth. Let's think about this. <laughs> I just want to I just want to uh, give a different um, a mindset to this misconception. Depression is just an excuse for laziness. Or not doing your Christian duty. It's an excuse. Well, if I'm depressed and if I, you know, I, I, I feel like I want to kill myself or hurt myself. Um, do you think my Christian duty is anywhere on my list? I don't think so. What do you think? If you feel like harming yourself or or committing suicide because we know that depression is opens the door to suicide. If you feel like doing these things or these words are coming into your mind to just just drive off the, the cliff or drive off the side of the road or drive off the bridge or jump off the bridge or, or, or shoot yourself or or whatever thought that the enemy is bringing to your mindset. What makes me think, because I'm looking at you, why would I even think to myself that you are just being lazy? And don't want to complete your Christian duty. Don't want to be on the praise team. Don't want to be on the financial committee. Don't want to be in the uh, uh, Sunday school committee. Why should I think? uh, Why am I thinking like that? Why am I thinking like that towards you? And you are depressed. Or why are you thinking like that towards me? And I am depressed. And I... While you're thinking about I'm being lazy, I'm thinking about I'm going to drive off the bridge on tomorrow. 
Come on, somebody. Somebody need to walk with me here. Why is not the church addressing this issue? Why does the church not talk about depression? Why are we not having studies about depression? Why are we not having uh, uh, sermons about depression? Why is there uh, no kind of uh, group, get together groups about depression? We've already read about what the CDC is talking about. And this is a worldly organization. This is not in the Christian community. If they can see depression in our teens, why we as the church cannot see it? If they can discuss about uh, a depression in adolescence, why? So why are we having this conversation as Christians, as brothers and sisters of Christ? Why is this conversation not... Um, prevalent in the church in this day and season when we are living in a world pandemic i mean a world this is this is something that we have never seen in our lifetime our century why is it not being discussed in the church that's what i want to know The reality is that God loves you regardless of how much you do for him. I want to say that again to those that are depressed or, or you've, you've shown or you can see that there are signs of depression in your life. The signs and the symptoms, we talked about it in the first episode. Hopelessness, feeling of failure, inadequacy, slow speak, uh, 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 Loss of appetite or overeating, fidgety, restless, uh, just irritated, irritable, or, or, or uh, disinterested in things that you normally love. If you can see the signs and the symptoms in your life or even the lives of your family members, I want you to know today that God loves you regardless. And God has not, uh, uh, this is not a, 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 um, a reward what is that misconception? Uh, a punishment from God. Depression is not a punishment from God. And it's not an excuse for laziness for not or not doing your Christian duty. God loves you regardless of what you do or how much you do for him. You can give someone a hug in your state of depression. You can hug somebody. And you don't know how far that goes. For that individual. If you're depressed. You you know for yourself. A hug goes a long way. So if you have a family member. That is that you see signs of depression. Or symptoms of depression. Or impacts of depression. Go hug that person. Tell that person that you love them. Tell that person that God loves them. And that you're there for them. Whatever they need. And, and, and ask them. What do they need? What do you need from me? How can I help you? I am here for you. And let me tell you, that will go a long way. And spiritually, dealing with the same misconception, if I am a minister and I am in a state of depression, when I get in the pulpit and I preach, that depression spirit is released upon the congregation. 
If there's anybody sitting in that congregation that is even on the verge of, of an open door, have a crack in the window, a crack in the door that Satan can push open with the spirit of depression, it shall come forth. So no, I, I, peep, you're not being lazy because of your Christian or don't want to do your Christian duty. Number one, you don't you don't want no one else to be depressed. It's a spirit. We talked about it. It's a wild of the devil. It's sent by the devil, and you do not want to release that upon somebody else. People in the church who are depressed usually get the bad end of the stick. Let me tell you, people with physical illness get the meals, they get the calls, they get the visits, they get the good well wishes, they get it all. But it's sad to say that people who are depressed, they feel shame and loneliness because other believers have a difficult time understanding their fight. It's sad to say that if you are depressed, that feeling of shame and loneliness, it continues to linger. Why? Because the other believers, the other Christians, your brothers and your sisters, they have a difficult time understanding your fight. They have a difficult time understanding why you're depressed. They have a difficult un a time understanding that you're depressed at all. Because we've talked about the misconceptions. They feel like um, you can just pray it away. Well, why are you depressed? All you have to do is get on your knees and pray. And, and have faith in God. And you can pray your depression away. Well, we've already talked about that in episode one. If I'm depressed, what makes you think that I am going to get on my knees and pray? What makes you think that I am going to call upon the Lord when I feel far from him i feel like he has abandoned me i feel like he has left me and turned away from me if i am feeling inadequate to even uh stand a kneel or even look towards god what makes you think that i'm gonna pray these are misconceptions about depression that's in the church believers they have a difficult time understanding We can see now since the pandemic that there is an increased number of adults as well as children that are dealing with depression and anxiety. Why isn't it talked about in the church? Even in 2021, CNBC stated that depression rates have tripled during the pandemic. And CNBC can talk about depression rates tripling during the pandemic why can't the church talk about it why can't the church discuss it cnbc is discussing it why why can't the church discuss it in 2022 the who which is the world health organization stated and this is 2022 we're only in the fourth month so 2022 the World Health Organization stated that COVID-19 pandemic triggers 25% increase in prevalence of anxiety and depression worldwide. There's a 25% 
increase in anxiety and depression worldwide due to the COVID-19 pandemic. So where is the church? Where is the conversation from the church about the pen, uh, about the uh, increase in anxiety and depression? Where is the conversation coming from the church? A 25% increase in 2022. The church is supposed to be the quote unquote hospital of the world. We are supposed to be telling the world about the many miracles and the, the, the revelations and the greatness about Jesus Christ and what he can do and what God can do for us. In the spirit realm and in the natural realm. So where is that conversation? Why isn't the church talking about it? We're talking about depression in the church world. Of the church community here in this episode of Alley Cat's Tea. There are a multitude of articles that you can find concerning the pandemic and the mental health and the pandemic and mental health itself, the pandemic and depression, the pandemic and anxiety. So where are the multitude of articles and conversations that are from the church about depression, about anxiety? About mental health. Hmm. I don't know. Can you help me with this question? Why are we talking about it? Now, let's go on. Therefore, the church must be in a place of empathy, compassion, and support. Because, I mean, all of this is going on. If the, if the World Health Organization can tell us there's an increase, a 25% increase worldwide, um, where is the church? Uh, the church must uh, have a, be in a place of empathy, compassion, and support. Where is the church? Not everyone experiences depression or finds help for it in the same way. Some suffer from chronic, low-level, or high-functioning depression, while others experience a more circumstantial depression. Now, now many say that, uh, let's go back to the misconceptions. Oh, depression isn't real. Depression is a punishment from God. Depression is just you're being lazy and you don't want to do the works of God. Listen, we're going to go to an example in the Bible that lets you know just how real depression is. And we're going to go through this example and we're going to talk about it. And then we're going to end this episode of depression and the church. I want you to pull out your Bibles because we're going to do a little bit of reading here. We're going to talk about the prophet Elijah. And we want to go, I want you to go to 1 Kings. We're going to be reading in the 18th chapter of 1 Kings. And we're going to be reading in the 19th chapter of 1 Kings. Since depression is not real. Since depression is not prevalent in the church world. Since there is a misconception that Christians cannot be depressed. We want to talk about the prophet Elijah. We're going to use him as an example here. Now, after Elijah's greatest triumphs, he's a great man of God. After his greatest triumphs, 
Elijah suffered his lowest lows. Yes, the prophet Elijah, the man of God that was taken away in a whirlwind, the chariots of fire came down from heaven, scooped up Elijah and took him to heaven. This man did not see death. Elijah was taken away from this earth by a chariot of fire. In other words, God sent down his angels. He sent down his chariot to take Elijah away from this earth. This is the man that we're talking about. But he suffered his lowest lows. Elijah was depressed, in other words, after he did his greatest works, his greatest miracles before men, Elijah was depressed. And we're going to talk about that on today, and I'm going to let you go. Now, Elijah had a close relationship with God, very close with God, <coughs> excuse me, and was used powerfully by God. Now, many people witnessed the greatness of God through Elijah the prophet. We're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to read verses 17 through verse 40. Yes, it's going to be a long read, but you're going to give, gather some great nuggets and glean some greatness out of these scriptures. 1 Kings 18, starting at the 17th verse, and we're going to go to the 40th verse and I'm going to read rather quickly so keep up 1st Kings 18 starting at the 17th verse we're talking about Elijah on Mount Car Carmel and it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said unto him art thou he that troubleth Israel and this is coming from the King James Version so in other words, Ahab is the king and he saw Elijah, the prophet, and he said, are you the one that's troubling Israel? Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and thou hast followed Balaam. In other words, Elijah said, I'm not the one troubling Israel. You are and your father. Y'all have turned away from the covenant of God and you are serving a false God. You're serving Baal. In other words, you and we can say it in our terms, you're serving the devil. Now, therefore, Elijah is speaking. Now, therefore, send and gather to me all Israel on Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal, 450. So he wants Ahab to gather all the people. He wanted him to gather all his prophets and the prophets of the groves 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. Ahab was married to Jezebel. Ahab was the king and Jezebel was his wife. So, so Ahab went unto all the children of Israel and gathered prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long will ye halt 
between two opinions. In other words, how long you going to be between two opinions? If the Lord God be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. In other words, he said, if God be God, you need to follow God. If Baal, the devil, be God, then you need to follow the devil. So you need to make a decision. You can't follow both. You can't have both. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You got to decide if you love God or if you love the devil. In so many words. But the people didn't answer anything. I guess they were... um amazed at what he said to them then answered Elijah unto the people I even I only remain a prophet of the Lord listen to what Elijah is saying listen to this scripture very carefully we're going to get to the point where Elijah was uh, depressed Elijah is saying here in verse 22 then Elijah said unto the people I even I alone, I'm the only one that remains a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophet are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks. We, we understand back in these days that they made sacrifices on altars and they used animals. So therefore, Elijah is asking for two bullocks for sacrifices. And let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood and put and put no fire under it. And I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under it. In other words, let's get two, let's get two cows, let's get two bulls, two animals. One is for the 450 prophets and one is for me. You know. All those 400 prophets, y'all together, but just me all over here by my lonesome. You got your bull and I got my bull. We're going to cut it up. We're going to put it on the wood, but we're not going to put any fire under it. So in other words, we're going to put it on the altar and we're not going to put any fire on it. So let's, let's get this party started in our words. And call ye, and Elijah is telling the 400 prophets, and call, this is verse 24, and call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. So, I'm going to call, you're going to call on your God, and I'm going to call on my God. Because we didn't put any fire here now. Come on. We just put the bullock on the wood. We put the sacrifice on the wood. We did not use any fire. Now the God that answers by fire. In other words, if your gods rain down fire and, and burn up your bull, then, it's, then that God be God. But if my God rains down fire and burn up my bull, then let my God be God. That's verse 24. Take note of that. And call ye on the name of your gods. And I, your gods, lowercase g-o-d-s, your gods. And I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answers by fire, let him be God. All of the people answered and said, 
it is well spoken. In other words, they agreed to what Elijah was saying. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves and dress it first. He wanted them to go first. For ye are many. You are like 450 people. You go ahead and you call on your God first. He said, you are many. It's many of you. Y'all got the, uh, 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 <laughs> in my words, I want to tell the devil, my devil, my demon, my, my, uh, come against. It's many of y'all. Many. Y'all got, y'all got, uh, <laughs> y'all got where y'all come in and go out. Y'all got uh, uh, shifts. That's the word I'm looking for. Y'all got shifts. Many of y'all. But Elijah say, Choose you one bullock for yourself and dress it first for ye are many. It's many of y'all. It's a lot of y'all. A whole bunch of y'all. And call on the name of your gods, Lord Case G., but put no fire under. So cut up your bullock. Put it on your altar. All y'all. Call on your gods. With a lowercase g. And a s. Meaning plural. Call on your gods. But don't put no fire under. And then. And they took. Verse 26, and they took the bullock which was given them and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal, which was their God. From morning, the scriptures say they called from morning even until noon. Verse 26, I'm going to read it again. And they took the bullet which was given them and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal, their God, from morning even until noon. So they started in the morning and they called 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 and they called. Saying, Oh Baal. Hear us. Hmm. But the Bible says there was no voice. Nor any that answered. My God from Zion. They called on Baal from morning to noon. But they didn't hear nothing. No voice and nobody answered them. And they leapt upon the altar which they made. They jumped on top of the altar they made with the with the bulls and the wood and they jumped on the altar and it came to pass at noon that Elijah began to mock them. Elijah began to mock the 450 prophets. Now 450 of them and they just calling bell, 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 bell. From morning to noon and nothing happened. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked him. What did Elijah say? Elijah said, cry aloud. Cry louder. 
for he is a God, lowercase g. Either he is talking. He can't hear you because he's talking. Or he is pursuing. He's out pursuing somebody. Or he is on a journey. He's, he's taking a trip. Or pre-adventure, he is sleeping and must be awakened. Elijah began to mark the 450 prophets of Baal because they're Baal, 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 but nothing is going on. And Elijah said, well, maybe he's taking a journey. Maybe, maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's talking to somebody. Maybe he's asleep. Call louder. He can't hear you. Call louder. And they cried loud and cut themselves after their manner, which is a ritual. They cut themselves, which is a satanic ritual, but we don't want to get into that. They cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out of them. And it came to pass when midday was passed, when it was afternoon, in other words, and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. My God from Zion. They just going on and on and on and on all day long. That there was neither voice nor any answer nor any that regarded them. So, Eliza say, you go first. We're going to settle this thing. We're we going to go on this mountain and we're going to settle this thing. If your God is God and he answered by fire, we're going to serve your God, which is Baal. If my God is God and he answers by fire, then we're going to serve my God, which is the Lord. So let's get this thing settled today. Now, it's 450 of you plus. So, I'm going to let y'all go first because it's a whole bunch of y'all. I'm going to let y'all go first. Now, I'm from the country, so I say y'all. I'm going to let y'all go first. And I'm going to let y'all dress. As I want y'all to set up y'all altar. Do everything that is required for the altar. But just don't put any fire there because we... The God that answers by fire is going to win this battle here. So, the 400 plus, just, they did what they needed to do with the altar. And they began to cry out to Baal. Baal, Baal, Baal. Baal didn't answer. Baal, they, they got mad. They cut themselves. They did all their little rituals, what they considered. Because, you know, Baal's supposed to meet them at this altar. Okay? So, Elijah see that nothing took place, so he's going to mock them because Elijah is a man of God, the true and the living God. He mocked them. Well, maybe Bill is asleep. Y'all need to cry a little bit louder. Or maybe Bill is on a trip and he can't hear you. Or maybe Bill is talking to having a conversation with somebody else. You know, maybe he's busy, in other words, is why he did not answer you. So now is Elijah's time. I got to cut this short. And it came to pass when midday had came. We read that. No one answered and there was no regard. Verse 30. 
And Elijah said unto all the people, come near, come here. I want y'all to come over here where I am. And all the people came near unto him. And he prepared the altar of the Lord. Elijah did prepare his altar. That was broken down. So, and Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of Israel. Listen to this. Elijah did some things according to the laws, the principles, the, the codifications, the statutes, the rules of God. Elijah took 12 stones which represented the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob. Unto whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be thy name. So he took 12 stones that represent them. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He built his altar in the name of God. In the name of the Lord. And made a trench about the altar. So he made a trench. He, he did extra in so many words. He did extra with its altar. As great as would contain two measures of seed. So it was a deep trench around his altar. And he put the wood in order. And he put the bullock pieces in order. So he laid his offering on the altar. And he laid the wood there. And Elijah said to, you know, those around him, fill four barrels of water. Elijah did extra. Go get me some water. I, I want you to bring me four barrels of water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice. I want you to pour the water on the altar. And he said do it a second time so basically eight barrels of water was brought to the altar and poured upon the altar and they did it the second time and he said do it the third time they did it again that's 12 barrels and they did it the third time and the water ran round about the altar and it filled the trench also with water. So, Elijah built his altar. He told them to bring in a whole bunch of water. He made a trench around his altar. Bring in all this water so and pour it on the altar. So, it was so much water to the trench that he built around the altar was full of water. Remember, he had the 12 stones of Israel that represents Israel. He First of all, he built his altar his altar in the name of God. He used 12 stones that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. He put water on his altar that uh, built a trench around it and filled that trench with water. Let's see what else happens. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, because remember the, the, the uh, 400 plus prophets, they prayed to Baal all day long basically and now it was time it's in the evening time and now elijah is gonna take care of his sacrifice that elijah the prophet came near and said lord listen what elijah said lord god of abraham isaac and of israel 
who is Jacob. Let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that thy art the Lord God that thou hast turned their heart back again. Verse 38. Listen to this. I hope somebody is reading this with me. Then the fire, oh my God from Zion, of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, consumed the wood, consumed the 12 stones, and the dust Oh my God from Zion. And licked up the water that was in the trench. My God from Zion. I'm feeling good right now. The God that answers by fire. Let him be God. They called upon Baal. And nothing happened. It was over 400 of these prophets. And nothing happened. Not one of these over 400 people could get their God to do something. Not one of them. But this man is by himself. And he did extra. He had 12 stones. He had the wood and the bull just like the others. He had 12 stones. He built a trench. And he filled the trench with water. And he called on his God. He said, I call upon you. And what happened? Verse 38. Let me read that again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice. It consumed the wood. It consumed the 12 stones. It even consumed the dust that was around the altar. And the fire licked up the water that was in the trench. Now that was a hot burning fire if it's going to lick up water. It licked up the water that was in the trench. Then all the people saw it. They fell on their faces and they said the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Elijah said, now, we need to settle this thing. Either you're going to serve Baal or you're going to serve God. We're going to go up here and we're going to have this contest. If Baal be God, if he licked this up, if he's sitting down fire, let you serve. We're going to serve Baal. But if God be God, if the Lord be God, and he sends down fire, and he burns up this sacrifice, then we're going to serve God. What did the people of Israel say? And when, verse 39, and when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Now, we went through all of that to get to verse 40. And Elijah said unto them, take the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. Take those 450 and plus men. Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon, and he slew them there. Elijah killed every last one of them. 
killed him dead. My God from Zion. What a story. This is in your Bible. Read your Bible and you will know the things of God. This is a plain scripture. Plain scripture. We are talking about depression. I'm excited about that scripture. I got to come back over here to depression. We are talking about depression. And we are showing uh, a great triumph of Elijah. The prophet Elijah. This was a great triumph. This is a great thing that he did. He called upon God and God sent his fire down. But as I begin to say. After his greatest triumph. He suffered his Lord's lows. Elijah had a close relationship with God. He also helped the widow woman and her son who were down and out and had only enough food for one meal. But Elijah told the widow that God would provide and God did just that. And later that same woman, her son died, but Elijah asked God to bring him back to life. And God did that for her. The widow's hope was restored through Elijah the prophet. Elijah did many other amazing works by the power of God. But the Bible shows that even great men of God can get tripped up by the trials and the challenges of living God's way in a world under the sway of Satan. In a world uh, consumed by the tactics of the devil. Consumed by the strategies, the plots, and the plans of Satan. Even great men of God can get tripped up by that. And we can see that in our our time how great men of God have been tripped up by Satan and, and, and fell from grace. We've seen that many and many times over. And the story of Elijah's descent into depression is a prime example of Christians and depressions. We're going to go now we're going to go to First uh, Kings the 19th chapter and we're only going to read the Four verses, verses one through four. And we're going to see how Elijah went into a state of depression. After he did this great work, God came and burned up everything in sight. And the people turned away from Baal. That's, that's the greatest part of the whole story right there. The people of Israel, they turned away from the works of the devil and they turned back to God. That's what the purpose of it was. He said, either you gonna, we going to serve the devil or we going to serve God. We got to settle this thing. And the people saw that God is truly God and they turned away from Satan and they turned to God. That was the greatest miracle right there. And Elijah killed all the prophets of Jezebel. We know those were Ahab's prophets. Jezebel was Ahab's wife. Elijah killed them. 1 Kings 19 verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel, his wife, all that Elijah had done on Mount Carmel. And with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Listen, listen to this. Then Jezebel, this great, <laughs> I want to say great voodoo priestess, this witch. Then Jezebel sent a message unto Elijah saying, 
So let the gods do unto me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So in other words, Jezebel sent a message to Elijah that Elijah, the great man of God, just called down fire from heaven, just showed for the people of Israel, turned away from their sins and turned back to God. A great work of God he had just did, but the devil sent a message or the devil planted a seed in the man of God. Jezebel sent a messenger to tell him, uh, let the gods do unto me if I don't kill you just like you just killed my prophets. What did Elijah do? The Bible said, and when he saw that, or in, in other words, when he heard this, Elijah arose and he went for his life. Elijah ran. This man just called down fire from heaven. But when Jezebel sent the word that she was going to kill him, he ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He went into the wilderness and came, and this is a whole message, and came and sat down under a juniper tree. Elijah went in the wilderness and went and sat down on the tree. Oh my God from Zion. And he requested for himself, what? That he might die. And said, it is enough. I've had enough, God. Now, oh Lord, take away my life. I am tired. I'm done. For I am not better than my father's. This man just called down fire from heaven. He heard the word that Jezebel is coming to kill him. He ran for his life, went into the wilderness, sat up on the tree and told the Lord, I'm, I'm tired. I'm done. I'm ready to die. How can this be so? If depression is not real, how can this be so? If all I can do is just pray and have faith and get rid of my depression. This man just called down fire from heaven. He's running from Jezebel. He's sitting up on the juniper tree saying, Lord, uh, I'm, I'm tired. I'm ready to die. Just take me away from here. I'm not better than my father's. And he just called down fire from heaven. How can this be? Not only Elijah was hated and treated with death by the evil queen Jezebel. He also felt his work had been in vain and that no one else was supporting God like he was. He felt totally alone. Remember we read where Elijah said, I alone, it's just me out here by myself being true to God. Oh, y'all falling bell. Y'all 450 plus. Oh, y'all falling bell. And I just, I'm by myself. Following the true and the living God. He felt totally alone. He felt vulnerable. And here's this word again. He felt hopeless. Elijah said, am I greater than my father's? I'm, I'm hopeless. 
God, take me away. I'm done. I'm tired. Does that not sound like depression to you? It sounds like depression to me. Elijah was being human just like you and me. Everything has started to get to him. Elijah got overwhelmed and he wanted to quit. No one knew Elijah was depressed but God. And we can go to second, we can go right back to 1 Kings 19 and we're going to jump down the verse 9 and we're going to read from 9 to 13. We're going to do it quickly because we're going to wrap this up. Starting at verse 9, 1 Kings 19, verse 9. And it came, and he came farther into a cave, meaning Elijah. He came farther into a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him. God himself had to go and talk to Elijah. Elijah was depressed. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him and said unto him, what doest thou here, Elijah? Elijah, why are you in this cave? This is God talking to Elijah. Why are you here? What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I alone, only am left and they seek my life to take it away. He's telling God, God, I've been jealous for you. I've been, you know, doing your work. And I've been, you know, doing what's right in your eyesight. And the children of Israel, you know, who you sent me to prophesy to and to lead in God. These people have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed the prophets. And I'm the only one left. And now they seek my life. And he said, go forth. God is he. And God said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind rent the mountains. God told him to go to the mouth of the cave. Because I'm going to show you some things in so many words. And the Lord passed by with a great and strong wind and rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. God did this, but he was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake came. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. So God is showing Elijah these great things right now. He, he's dealing with Elijah. He's talking to Elijah. And after the earthquake, fire came. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard the still, small voice that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out. And stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said. It was God, a still small voice. The voice came to him and said, what doest thou here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? 
I've used you in many ways. These are my words. I'm just adding Allison's uh, translation. I've used you in many ways. I've called on fire from heaven. I've used you to raise the dead. I've used you in many ways. Why are you here? Why are you in this state of mind? Why are you in this uh, state of mentality? Why are you in this cave? Why are you in this wilderness? What are you doing here, Elijah? My great prophet, why are you here? God approached Elijah and Elijah told God that he had been doing his best. But it was all for nothing. This is how he felt. He felt hopeless. Elijah told God he was tired and just wanted to quit and die. God then did something surprising. This is where God began to show forth his works. First, he put on a display of his power. But immediately afterwards, God comforted Elijah by talking with him in a gentle whisper. Why are you here, Elijah? Why are you here, Allison? Why are you here, Mark? Why are you here, Keith? Why are you here, Sharon? Why are you here, Karen? Why are you here, Michael? Why are you here? Why are you in this cave, Benjamin? Why are you here, David? Why are you here? God also quietly told Elijah that he had more work for him to do. And to let him know he wasn't alone. God showed Elijah he was more than just a mighty God of power. He also had compassion and cared. Thus, Elijah's hope was restored. You can read those scriptures in 1 Kings 18 and 19. God wants to know why are you here in a state of depression? When you have work to do. Yeah, that's what he told me. In my state of depression. In my state of uh, taking medication. In my state of bitterness. In my state of uh, feeling abandoned. In my state of feeling um, fear, rejection, self-pity, self-will, resentment. One revenge and retaliation in my state of anger that opened the door to my depression. My feeling of mistreatment and rejection and disappointment. My feeling of hurt that opened the door to depression. Yes, God said, not so. You have more work to do. Gather yourself. Gather your lawns. Get out of this cave and go back the same way you came. That's what he told Elijah. You got to go back the exact same way you came. Continue to read and you'll see it.
I'm with you, God said. You're not alone. I have compassion on you. And this is just a story to let you know that the great men and women of God, they get depressed. It's in the Bible. So why does not the church talk about depression on today? Why is there not a conversation about depression which opens the door to suicide? Which suicide takes the life of many of God's people. Which suicide there is no forgiveness of sin once you commit suicide. Unless God decides to take you to heaven. You commit suicide, you will open your eyes in hell. Why? Is the church not talking about this? Why is the church not addressing depression, which opens the door to suicide? That is the question of the day. If we could see a great man of God that called down fire from heaven, just by a message from a messenger from the woman Jezebel, a measly woman, can make this man turn and run for his life, end up in a cave by himself, depressed. And that God himself had to come and talk to him. Why is the church not addressing the topic of depression in the church world today? In the midst of a world pandemic. Why is that? And I'm going to leave you with that question on today. I'm going to leave you with these scriptures. Go and read it for yourself. And once again, I thank you for listening to Sister Ellie Cat's Tea, where we talk about all things church related. And once again, I will talk to you soon. <music>